Reading for our text tonight from Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In the New Testament, we have 13 letters, which are in effect signed by the Apostle Paul. And Paul, he accomplished this by ending each letter in a very similar fashion. If you look at the very last verse in a few of his epistles we say are signed by him. Galatians chapter 6 verse 18 says, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And when we hear these words, they're familiar to us. Philippians 4.23, again the last verse of Paul's epistle to the church at Philippi, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And similarly, Colossians 4.18, the salutation by the hands of me, Paul, remember my bonds, grace be with you all men. Well, if we look at the last verse in the book of Hebrews as well, he writes very similarly, grace be with you all, all men. So this is one of the reasons why it's broadly accepted that Paul wrote the letter to the Hebrews. And we say letter to the Hebrews, but it's actually a general epistle. It's often referred to. There are eight general epistles in the New Testament. James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John and Jude. And really it was written to all Christian believers, we might say. Of course, when we read Hebrews, it feels like he's writing to Jewish readers for sure. But many of these general epistles, I think one of the writers even says to the strangers scattered abroad, it's to everybody, all people everywhere, not a specific church or a specific pastor. But when we read through uh, the book of Hebrews, really we get the richest of parallels between the old covenant and what Christ came to do and to fulfill. It gives us great insight, and one word that really sticks out to me is this word better throughout the the book of Hebrews, and in the original it means stronger, might, power, nobler, having dominion, best, or of course better. And if you read through Hebrews, I counted 13 times uh, in which this word is used, and it's more than any other, it's used more in Hebrews than any other uh, book in the New Testament. And this gives really a flavor of the book of Hebrews, a snapshot, if we mention a few of those verses tonight. Hebrews 7:19, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Speaking of what Jesus came to do. We stand on better promises, a better hope, because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Hebrews 7:22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. The new covenant paid for by his blood. Hebrews 8, 6. By now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which are established upon better promises. We like that. 
that sounds good. We have a better hope, better promises, a better testament. Hebrews eleven sixteen. But now they desire a better country. And this is speaking of the heroes of faith that is in heavenly. They had this hope that was better. And you and me, we have that same hope. And finally, Hebrews eleven forty. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Well, there's a lot to digest in these verses, but the point is Jesus. He brought a better hope. He brought a better covenant. And we stand upon those promises tonight. We all benefit. The prophet Habakkuk, he's, we actually don't know a lot about him, but he did write one of the most familiar passages of scripture or the most quoted in all of the Old Testament. He's really a unique character, Habakkuk. He writes this conversation in chapter one between himself and God as if there's this unique dialogue. He also seems to have written during the time of Jeremiah. He writes about the destruction of Jerusalem and the Babylonian empire. But in Habakkuk 2.4, he writes this familiar verse, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And it's interesting, in the New Testament, we find exactly three times in which this passage of Scripture is referenced or quoted. Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. The second time, Galatians 3.11, But that no man is justified by the law on the side of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. And finally, the third and final time, right here in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. And if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So the Apostle Paul, who commonly is believed to have written Hebrews, seems to be writing this trilogy on what Habakkuk wrote. In Romans, he teaches who the just are. And in the book of Galatians, how the just shall live. And of course, we know in Hebrews, he teaches us what does that faith look like? In fact, when he writes this in, in chapter 10, it's right before he lays out to us all the heroes of faith or the giants of faith. We live in a world where they're focused on that which is just. And the point here is that true justice comes from the throne of God. In fact, in the Christian life, the Lord justifies us. When we're saved, we stand justified before the Lord as if we had not sinned before. And we then are enabled to live a just and a righteous life. But the creator, he also defines that which is just, that which is right, that which is righteous, that which is holy. It comes from God himself. And really, this trilogy is actually further evidence that Paul wrote Hebrews. But if we look back at our text, Paul really here in chapter 4, verse 12, he's trying to explain to us the depth and the magnitude and the eternal nature of God's holy word. A familiar scripture for sure, Hebrews 4.12, he says, For the word of God is quick. Now when we think of this word quick in the English today, we might think of something that is fast. We're quick on our feet. The exact opposite of how I felt 
if I'm playing hoops with my boys or with the young people recently. I don't have that quickness. Sometimes we, we say that someone is quick-witted, and, and a definition for that is an ability to think or respond quickly and effectively. And we've all talked to someone where, no matter what you say, they're very quick to have a response. And, and it's witted, and um, a lot of times there's a sense of humor. If we look at these definitions in, in regards to the Word of God being quick, we might say that God's Word gets right to the point. It quickly gets to the point. Well, it's true that uh, in regards to God's Word, there is no idle word in the Scriptures. Every word, every phrase, even every letter we know has a point. In fact, I understand, if I understand correctly, there are exactly 8,679 distinct Hebrew words in the Old Testament. And we know that when the scribes would copy God's written word, they knew exactly the number of words for each type of word that was used. It's sobering to think that Jesus said in his old words in regards to us, Matthew 12, 36, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Verse 37 in Matthew 12, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And we heard about judgment on Sunday. This ought to make us think. Every idle word we will give an account for, Jesus himself said, according to Matthew chapter 12. But if we get back to this word uh, in here in, in Hebrews, that the word of God is quick, it's much more than being fast and quick-witted, what the original means. It means that God's word is alive. It means that we are living, or excuse me, we are reading the living word of God when we read God's holy scriptures. It means that the Spirit of God is on and in the very words that we're reading. That word quick means that it is God-breathed. It is alive, God's Word. So he writes, for the Word of God is quick and powerful. And that original word powerful, it means that God's Word is active, operative, effectual, or powerful just like we understand powerful. I like how Mark ends his gospel. And, and, and Mark, in his gospel, he's known for really getting to the point. It's a, it's a, it's a short gospel relative to uh, uh, Matthew and Luke. And he goes from miracle to miracle to miracle that Jesus uh, uh, performed when he was on earth. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, it says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with signs, excuse me, working them, and confirming the word with signs and wonders. And then he says, Amen, or so be it. You know, our expectation should be when we hear God's word, that signs and wonders would follow. We don't just say that to say that, but just as Mark uh, gives us in his gospel about what happened when they preached the word. That's what we should expect too, because God's word is alive. It's active. It's effectual. The word of God is supernatural from heaven. Signs following should be our expectation. Not because of what we said, because of what God said. 
The writer goes on here and he says, and sharper than any two-edged sword. And looking up this definition for sharper, it was really fascinating. This is what it means in the original. It means to cut more comprehensive or decisive as if by a single stroke. You see, the word of God cuts us to the heart. That's what I believe the writer's getting to here. In one blow or stroke, according to what the original means. We're familiar in Acts chapter 5 when the apostles preached the word of God. And it says in the 33rd verse, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart. And similarly, when Stephen preached the word of God and he gave an historical account to the people, and when they heard the word of God, it says in Acts 7.54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Now, of course, these people needed to be saved. They, they, they lacked their spirit having been made alive in Christ and they needed salvation. But we do find ourselves as Christians reading devotions hearing a message, coming to Sunday school, hearing a song that has the word of God in it, and it cuts us to the heart. It corrects us. It shows us that we've come up short somewhere. We've said something we shouldn't have. There's somebody we have to go back and apologize to. We've done something in our walk with the Lord that he's not all that pleased with. There are times in our Christian walk where we might apologize to the Lord. Lord, I want to do better here. Help me. Lord, help me to go back to that person and tell them I'm sorry. Lord, I want to have a right relationship with all of humanity. Humanity. God's word is very corrective in our lives because it is sharper than any two-edged sword. He goes on to say, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And if we try to explain in the natural the exact difference between our soul and our spirit, it's not possible to do so. We all have a soul that will exist somewhere forever. Either in an eternal lake of fire or in a new heaven and a new earth. But we also have a spirit The Bible teaches us, and when our spirit is not right with the Lord, when we don't have a relationship with the Lord, our spirit is dead. The scripture teaches us. When we come to know Christ, our spirit is made alive, and we can now worship the Lord. As John wrote that Jesus said, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But it's interesting that the word of God also likens our soul being saved from death. James said, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So we see this interesting parallel in the scripture between our soul and our spirit, yet there is a difference somehow. And God's word is able to perfectly decipher that difference. It's because it's supernatural. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. So he draws this parallel for us in the natural, the joints and the marrow of the bone, that there is a difference there, but they're together. Similarly, in a spiritual sense, our soul and our spirit and God through his word can discern. And it is a discerner going on of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God gets real deep. 
The word of God gets into places in our hearts that we didn't realize we had. But the God, but the word of God reveals it unto us, shows it unto us, teaches it unto us. It reveals us. And we believe that God's word is speaking to all of us tonight. We come to God's house to hear his word. You didn't come here to hear me tonight. You came here to hear God's word. We only stand here on the authority of God's word. We only preach to you on the authority of God's word. We're taught when you step to the pulpit and you open your mouth, read from God's word. Because that's our only authority. In closing, I want to leave you with one more promise from God's word tonight. In Luke 21, he says, Verily I say unto you, this is verse 32 and 33. Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. People come and go. Perspectives come and go. Ideas come and go. Opinions come and go. But God's word is forever. It's established in heaven forever. And we believe that signs and wonders can and will follow God's word tonight. The greatest miracle of all is when salvation is wrought in the heart of a human being. There's no greater miracle than when you are made a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. You have tasted a piece of eternal life at that instant, at that transaction, transaction, when your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you've found a place in heaven for all of eternity. There's nothing better. We believe signs and wonder will follow God's word. Whatever you need tonight, the altars are open. The song is 657.